The first gift we can give is worship of the Lord. We can worship God. We can give Jesus a gift this Christmas by making a commitment to worship. Look at verse 37. Anna did not depart from the temple. She was there night and day. Night and day. Now, a couple of ways to look at this. We know she worshiped the Lord. She did not depart. Some people believe she actually had an apartment there and she lived there as a widow, maybe. Maybe her temple, they were taking care of her. But I think probably the best way to understand this, it'd be like saying today, hey, every time the doors of the church, she's there every time the doors are open. Every time there was something going on, she was there. She was faithful night and day. Every time there was an opportunity. It also speaks to the fact that her life was a lifestyle of worship. So she recognized the importance of corporately worshiping with God's people. She was a prophetess. That's intentional. She taught a small group. She taught a Bible study. That night and day reference shows us that in her life, as she lived, her life was an act of worship. She lived a lifestyle of worship. She worshiped the Lord. And in John's gospel, chapter 4, verse 23, we are told that God is seeking people to worship him, which is one of the great mysteries of life, that God seeks worshipers. He doesn't need our worship. I mean, our worship doesn't make him more God or better than he is. He doesn't need it for self-gratification, yet he seeks worshipers. It's amazing that God wants us to participate in this relationship and to worship him, but he does. He seeks worshipers, and he gives us guidelines for worshiping him. We are told to worship God in spirit and in truth, and you think about that. To worship God in spirit, what does that mean? First of all, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. To worship God in spirit means you have to have the Holy Spirit living in you. And only believers, we believers, those of us who have been saved, who have put our faith and trust in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. So to worship in spirit means that the Holy Spirit is living within me and I am right in my relationship with God, that I am faithful. So I come to God and worship is sincere. It is heartfelt. It is based on the fact that Christ is alive and lives in me and we are serious about what we're doing here. So when we come together as God's people and we worship in spirit, it means we're worshiping and we're serious about worshiping. It doesn't mean that we're serious all the time. We celebrate, we rejoice, but worship is important to us and we know that it is vital to the health of our relationship to God. And the only way we can worship is because the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit lives within us and lives through us. It's from the heart. Bottom line, worship in the Spirit is from the heart. So it's not about, hey, this isn't my favorite song or this is my favorite song or I like that music or I don't like that music or whatever the case may be. It's, Lord, I'm coming into your presence. You live within me and I want to express my love to you. And I want to express my gratitude, and I'm recognizing that you are God, and I'm sincere in it. It's from my heart. It's an act of sacrifice. I'm giving you my life as an act of worship. But he also said he wants us to worship him in truth. Anna worshiped in truth. We don't just show up, sing some songs, get an emotional feeling, and then leave. That's not worship. You may get an emotional feeling, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with emotion in worship unless it's driven by emotion, But that's not what worshiping in truth. Worshiping in truth means we know the truth, and our worship is based on who God is, the doctrine, the theology, the truth of Scripture, Jesus' truth. We know who we're worshiping, we know why we're worshiping, and we're worshiping Him in truth. We're worshiping the God of the Bible, we're worshiping Jesus, and we're worshiping based on what we know. We know redemption, we know salvation, and we're worshiping God because of that. So real, authentic worship is in spirit and in truth. That's the way 
it was for Anna then, and that's the way it should be now. We need to give God the gift of worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. We're going to define it this way. We defined it two weeks ago. Worshiping God in spirit is giving Him the full affection of my heart. He lives in me. He owns me. I give Him everything. Worshiping Him in truth means I give Him the full attention of my mind. I know His Word. My doctrine is good. My theology is good. I know Jesus. I know salvation, redemption. My worship is based on that knowledge, what I know and who I am because of who he is. Worshiping God, real, authentic worship. That has to be our goal. So the question is, right now, are we giving him the full affection of our hearts and the full attention of our minds this morning? As you've worshiped God, can you say that you've given him the full affection of your heart and the full attention of your mind? Worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Worship is this. It's God, I recognize who you are. I'm in awe of you. I'm amazed by you. In my heart, I'm passionately in love with you. And in my will, I submit to you completely and to your will for my life. That's, that is worship. It's not just an act on Sunday morning. I come in for a few minutes, an hour and 15 minutes, whatever, and then I leave and go about my business. It's, Lord, I'm giving you the full affection, everything that I am, everything that I have, the full attention of my mind. It is all yours, and I'm worshiping you because you alone deserve it. So Anna's in church. She meets Jesus. Something else to think about. She's dedicated to the corporate aspect of worship. If she hadn't been that, that, there that day, what would she have missed? She would have missed meeting the Savior. So if I'm not here on Sunday, what might I miss? It's important to come together as God's people and worship Him. So this Christmas, let me encourage you to make two commitments to the Lord. First of all, Lord, help me to be faithful in my personal quiet time. And I worship corporately. You know she worshiped privately. And we need to have a, a daily time with the Lord where we read His Word, where we communicate with Him. A scheduled time of prayer. We pray through the day, pray without ceasing, but I'm talking a scheduled focused time where we spend time with God. That's commitment number one. This year, Lord, let this be the best year of, of, of quiet time with you, keeping that commitment. Number two, Lord, help me to, to, for this to be the best year of attendance at church, corporately worshiping you. I recognize that I have to meet with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. You've called us together. Do not neglect meeting together. So Lord, in, in, in connection groups, in Bible study, Sunday school, in corporate worship, let this be the best year, 2019, be the best year of, of me being faithful in attending church. Those are two commitments that we can make in worship this year. And I know we live in the real world. I know you get sick and you can't be here 100% of the time. But I also know we live in a world where sometimes it's just enough is enough to get by. And 7 out of 10 is considered faithful. Well, God doesn't want our second best. He wants our best. And we need to give him everything. And that includes being a part of what's going on at the church. In Psalm 35, 18, it says, I will praise you in the great congregation. I will exalt you among many people. God's plan has always been this. To know Jesus as Savior is about believing and it's about belonging. I trust in Christ. I'm his. I believe in him. And now because I'm saved, I belong to his family. And, and, and that's his plan for us to be together, to be connected. He wants to use you and the gifts he's given you. And he wants to use me and he wants to, to use us together to further his kingdom. I've heard people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And that's true. It's also true that I don't have to go home to be married, but what kind of marriage would I have if I never went home? If you want to be all that God has planned for you, you need to be here. You need to be a part of what's going on in the house of the Lord. So we, let's make a commitment to be faithful. 
Uh, we can make a commitment to worship Him, taking seriously, privately, publicly, living my life as an act of worship. Number two, another gift we can give God is to seriously serve the Lord, to serve Him faithfully. We're here to worship Him, but also within the context of the church and in my life, there are, there are gifts that God has given me, abilities He's given me to be used in service of him and for his glory. Look at verse 37 again. Anna, she was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex doing what? Serving God night and day with fasting, with prayers. That phrase, serve God. Anna's dedication is evident, her devotion to Jesus. There's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 4 about service. Verse 10, it says, based on the gift each one has received, use it to do what? to serve others as good managers, as good stewards of the varied grace of God, the gifts that he's given you. He's given us gifts, and whether or not we're a good steward, if we use those for his glory, we're being good managers of what he's given us. The Bible teaches that we all have gifts, and, and he's given us all abilities, and he wants to use those for his glory, for his service, in service of him. And so we have to be faithful, to be willing to trust God and to serve him. We only have one life to, to, to live, and I'm convinced that if we spend this life serving anything else besides our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our life is wasted. And, and that, that's, that's one of the, the things I want most in my life, and I want my kids to see, is that, that I didn't waste my life, that I used what God gave me to serve Him. Am I perfect? No. None of us are perfect, but I want the testimony of my life to be that overall, consistently, God gifted me and I use those gifts to serve Him. I want my kids to learn from me that God's given them gifts and I want them to use their gifts to serve Him. We don't want to waste our lives and if, if you don't want to waste your life, the only way to avoid doing that is to serve the Lord. Because he alone has the perfect plan for your life. You'll never know that plan unless you know him. So this Christmas, co commitment we can make is, I'm gonna, Lord, I'm going to give you my life, and I want to use the gifts that you've given me to serve you. A commitment of service this Christmas. I want to show you a picture of, of an old hat. This is an old Texaco hat, long time ago. Service station Men used to wear this, and their, their theme, you can trust your car with the man who wears the star. That was the theme. A long time ago, gas stations, as we know them now, were called service stations, and there was a reason for that. You would pull up to the pump, this guy wearing this hat and a bow tie and an iron shirt would come to your car, and he would pump gas in your car. He would put tire air in your tires. He would wash your window. He would do whatever you needed, and it was part of the, the, the service experience. It was a service station. And today, we don't have service stations. We have gas stations because you pull up, and you swipe your card, and you put gas in your car, and the, the only inter human interaction you may have is when you go in and pay a dollar for a Coke bigger than your head. And, and, and so it's not a service station. It's a gas station. I remember when I was a kid, they still had self-service islands and full-service islands. You paid more for full service, but you got this treatment. It wasn't, hey, I, I'm going to come in and I'm going to fill up and I'm going to leave. There's an act of service. And, and while this is an old hat, this hat should be part of the uniform that you and I wear as believers, not on our heads, but in our hearts. It should be about serving the Lord, not, not coming to church. Hey, I'm coming here today, and I'm going to fill up. 
You hear that phrase, I'm going to get my fill and I'm going I'm to go out and I'm going to get enough today so that I can make it through the week and then when I'm empty next week, I'll come back in and I'll get filled up again. No, no, it's not about what I get out of it. It should be about, Lord, I'm coming here to give you whatever I, I have, whatever I, ha- I can. It's not, it's not about, hey, what, Lord, what can you do for me, but how can I serve you? So the question for us, Wall Highway Baptist Church, is church, is, is it about serve us or is it about service? Do I come here every Sunday expecting to be filled? Or is it I'm coming here because I want to serve the Lord? Because let me tell you, the only way you're going to get filled is if you give God everything you have and you serve him. True joy is found in spending your life serving the Lord. So it shouldn't be about, Lord, serve me, fill me up. It should be, God, I'm giving everything to you, and then he will fill you up with whatever you need. Do we have a sincere desire to serve the Lord, to be faithful? I pray that we do. Giving our lives is an act of service. So this Christmas, will you join me in making a commitment to serve the Lord? Another gift that we can give him, the gift of service, serving God faithfully. Pray a dangerous prayer with me. I'll tell you why it's dangerous in a minute. The the most dangerous prayer you can ever pray is three words. Lord, use me. It's worth it, though. It's dangerous because if you pray that, he'll, he'll use you. All right, he'll provide opportunities. But if you will allow him to use you, the, the growth, the closeness, the intimacy with God that you'll experience makes it worth any risk that's involved. Anna, an incredible model of worship, an incredible model of service. And number three, she teaches us that we need to talk to the Lord. Another gift we can give God is just to talk to him. To spend time with him. Verse 37, again, night and day with fasting and prayers. She had a serious prayer life. She fasted and she prayed. And here's all fasting is. Fasting is I recognize I need food to live. It's a necessity for life. But I also recognize that Jesus is more important than than that necessity. My relationship with him is more important than, than physical sustenance. And so I fast. I set aside food for a temporary time. And every time I think about food, that reminds me to think about the Lord. Every time my my stomach growls, that reminds me to think about Jesus, to focus on him, to talk to him, to seek his will. Fasting is, is, is just an act that you go through to remind us that while we need food to live, we need Jesus even more. And it forces us to focus on him, to seek his will. That's why you see people fasting and praying, especially when they're faced with big decisions. Uh, they're faced with major life transitions in Scripture. And so fasting is that. We know that she fasted and she prayed. She, she had a serious prayer life because she knew that her relationship to God was more vital than anything else. There was a story a few years ago about five ninth grade students in Denmark who performed an experience. They proved that plants don't grow well next to Wi-Fi signals. What started this is that they realized that after sleeping next to their cell phones at night, they were, they were having trouble staying awake and focusing the next day. They weren't sleeping as well. And so they tried to prove that, that radiation from cell phones was what was causing this. Well, the school didn't have the resources to do that experiment, so they discovered that Wi-Fi routers put out about the same amount of radiation as cell phones do. So they, they, they got two rooms, and they planted six plants in each room. One room 
just the plants, the other room next to two Wi-Fi routers. And they studied it for 12 days. Well, before 12 days was even up, before a little over halfway through the experience, they were documenting everything, and they realized that in the room without the routers, the plants were growing, and in the room with routers, the plants were either the dead or hadn't grown at all. The radiation was keeping them from growing. And, and, and here's the point. For us, our connectedness to Christ is vital for our well-being. We cannot expect to live our lives each day out in the radioactive world that we live in with all that's out there, all the worldliness that we encounter. We cannot expect to thrive, survive, much less, more importantly, thrive if we're not connected to God in prayer. If we're, all we get is, is that, then we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to survive. We're certainly not going to make an impact in our world for him. We have to be connected in a relationship and worship with God. And the way we're connected to him is through prayer. We communicate with him. He communicates with us through the Holy Spirit, through his word. We have to have a healthy prayer life. Anna had a healthy prayer life, and so do we. Our closest, closeness, our connection to God is vital to our spiritual well-being. In verse 38, it says, She began to give thanks to God. We've already mentioned that she had a tough life, a widow in a rough society, Roman government, all the corruption, losing her best friend, all of these things, King Herod, but she still gave thanks to God. Her prayer included thanks, and you can better believe it, it included praise. It, it included petition for her own needs. It included intercession for the needs of others. It included repentance, Confession of sin, all of those things. She had a healthy prayer life, and we need to have a healthy prayer life. So this Christmas, we can make the commitment to God to talk to Him, to pray, to grow deeper in our prayer life. Because one, one reason, prayer is powerful. God wants to bring the power of heaven to bear on earth, and prayer is the way that we bring the resources to bear upon the earth in which we live. And so we need to, to, to spend time with the Lord in prayer. It's not The power is not in the prayer that we pray. Uh, the, the power's not in prayer itself. The power's in the one we pray to. It's in, it's in God. It's His power. But, but He uses prayer to bring about His power and to get us in line with His will. Prayer is powerful. It's also fellowship. It's Jesus, I love you so much, I want to spend time with you. It's dependency. I see my needs, I see others' needs, and I know that the only person who can meet my needs and others' needs is God. So I'm depending on you, and I'm recognizing that. It's consistency. It says she prayed night and day. She was consistent. We see in, in Romans 12, too, Paul says, be persistent in prayer. Luke 21, 36 says, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. Praying without ceasing, that doesn't mean that I'm walking around Talking all the time, it means that I'm either praying or I'm about to pray. I'm, I'm constantly in fellowship with God. I'm praying. I'm either actually praying or, or, or I'm thinking about who the Lord is. I'm a part of this ongoing conversation, which means I'm not talking all the time. I'm listening some of the time too, but I'm walking in communion, in fellowship with God. My life is a life lived in communication and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this year, let's give the Christmas gift of a commitment to pray, to spend time with the Lord, to talk to Him, fellowship with God, prayer for others, prayer for my own needs, a prayer for the lost, prayer just for the sake of fellowshipping with God. Look at number four. Not only did Anna talk to God, she worshiped Him, she served Him, she talked to Him, she also 
talked about the Lord. She talked to him, but then she talked about him. In verse 38, she spoke of him to all those who look for redemption. Anna knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that she, was, she, she, she had found the Messiah. She wasn't about to keep that to herself. Again, this baby, 40 days old, wrapped up, that, that had been brought to the temple, that, that was being dedicated. This lady, 84 years old, this widow, she had suffered. She had been faithful over time and time again, day in, day out, coming to the temple. And their lives intersected. She, she had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And immediately, you, you can picture the scene that Mary and Joseph walk by with Jesus. She's walking maybe in a, the opposite direction and stops dead in her tracks. She knows who she's encountered. She knows this is the Messiah that she's been waiting for. She sees him. She experiences him. And she could not keep that to herself. She had to tell other people. She had to speak about him outside the temple. She spoke about him inside the temple. She spoke about him outside the temple. You and I as believers, we have experienced the greatest blessing there ever is. We've been saved. We've encountered the Messiah. And we can't keep that to ourselves. We're all missionaries. You're not just a missionary if you go overseas or you go to a different part of the country. We are all missionaries called to share the gospel. And we have to take the message of the gospel to speak of him inside here, but also outside in our daily lives, in our schools, in our places of business. And as we're in line at the grocery store or shopping, last minute Christmas gifts, you've got time to talk to somebody. Share about Christ outside of the church. She talked about the Lord in verse 37. She talked to God in prayer before she talked to others about him. She recognized the importance of her relationship with God and how that had impact on her witness for the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. If you struggle to share your faith, if you struggle to be a witness, the health of your relationship to God has direct impact on your ability to witness for the Lord. If your prayer life is not healthy, then your evangelistic life is not going to be healthy. She knew the importance of her relationship to the Lord, the worship she had, the time she spent with him, and how it impacted her witness. Because her relationship with God was healthy, her, her sharing of the Lord had impact. She shared Christ inside and outside. So this Christmas, join me in this prayer. Lord, help me to have the courage and the commitment to tell others about you, to share my faith with others. This year, you're going to have two opportunities in this church to share your faith, two easy opportunities, two methods, I should say. The, the strategy of coming here, you can invite people to come to church. It's one of the easiest things you'll ever do. And statistics show that most people who don't attend church, they would actually come if somebody they knew invited them. Invite somebody to come and hear the gospel preached, Bible study, worship, to experience the fellowship of other believers. You've also got the opportunity to practice the method of going and telling. We come here, but we also are called to go and tell. We live our lives as a, a lifestyle of worship. We live an example, but we also need to speak with the words, the gospel. The power of a personal invitation is incredible, but it, so is the power of your personal testimony. Sharing your story sharing Jesus with others. You can get involved in one of the many ways we do that here, but also day to day as you go through your life, look for opportunities. Maybe through your generosity, you can send others. That's what the Lottie Moon 
offering's all about. We're sending people around the world to share the gospel. That's one way you can participate in going and telling. Shouldn't be the only way, but you can do that and should. Just by being here today and participating in worship, you're in a few minutes going to participate in an evangelistic event. The Lord's Supper is a visual sermon of the sacrifice of Christ. So just participating in that. There may be somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus who's going to witness that. There are several ways we can participate in sharing the gospel. We should be willing to do that. Make a public commitment to Christ and then a private commitment between he and myself to share my faith with others. This Christmas, we need to make a commitment. Lord, help me be intentional about sharing my faith with other people. One more stop before we finish. From this lady named Anna, we can learn that we need to watch for the Lord. We need to talk to him. We need to talk about him. We need to worship him. We need to serve him. And we need to live our lives in anticipation of his return. You know, one of the amazing things about this incredibly strong woman is that she, a widow, not a good thing to be in this day and time, that she lived day after day, faithfully, she lived waiting and watching for the Lord to come. She knew the Messiah was coming. Verse 38 again, at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and speak about him to all who were looking forward, that word looking to the redemption of Jerusalem. That word looking has a, a, a future sense. She was part of a small remnant of people in this time that was still waiting. God had been silent for many years, but there was still a small group waiting longingly for the Messiah to come. She was a part of that group, faithfully waiting. And now it comes true. Again, 84-year-old lady, 40-day-old baby, just crossing paths in the temple, and she knew God blessed her. Because of her faithfulness, he blessed her with the opportunity to see the Messiah she had been waiting. She probably didn't have too many more years after this, but God made sure that her faith was realized, that she was satisfied. She saw the Messiah. We see this small group that was waiting for Jesus to come. We know that Jesus has already come. He came the first time. She was waiting for him. He came. He was born of a virgin in a stable. He lived a sinless life. He said that he was God with his words. He proved it with his life. He grew up, had a ministry. He gave his life as a sacrifice that we could not pay, a sacrifice that we owe. He was arrested. Soldiers spit on him. They punched him in the face. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They drove spikes through his hands and his feet. They put a spear in his side. He died, gave his life. He died. He was buried. But then he rose again in victory. And now, right now, as you and I are meeting here today, he is at the right hand of God the Father. So we know he came in the past, but you and I, and as a lesson for us, that we are waiting for another coming. We look forward into the future. We know that Jesus came. He's coming again. We know that I believe based on Scripture, Scripture teaches that he will come and there will be the rapture of the church, that, that we who are alive and those who are dead, Jesus will appear in the air and we will all be caught up with him in the air. And there'll be a great reunion and we'll go with him. We'll experience the judgment of the righteous, the judgment seat of Christ. But then after that, we're going to go to a party like we've never experienced before, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. It's going to be an incredible celebration. God's people gathered together. After that, there's going to be a period on earth, I believe, called the Great Tribulation, a seven-year period where there's going to be pain and suffering and persecution like no one's ever experienced. It's going to be horrible. 
But then after that, Jesus is going to come again, and we're going to come with him, those of us who are followers of Christ. He's going to come again, and, and this is really the second coming because this time in the rapture, he appears in the air. As we read in Zechariah 14.4, this time his feet are actually going to touch the ground. But it's not going to be like before. He's not going to be a baby in a manger. Nobody's going to spit on him. Nobody's going to punch him in the face. Nobody's going to drive spikes through his hands and feet. Nobody's going to pierce him in his side. He's not going to die. As a matter of fact, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus will come again, but it's not going to be like the first time. And because he came the first time, for you and I, we can live in anticipation of that day. And Anna teaches us that while we're alive, we can live our lives in a way that reflects that anticipation. Because when you know that Jesus is coming, just like Anna knew the Messiah was coming, when you and I know Jesus is coming, it changes our priorities, doesn't it? It changes the way we live. The things that used to be important aren't important anymore. Things that maybe we wouldn't have thought of as being important become important again. Our lives change. Our priorities change. Anna teaches us to live in a way that, that, that is longing, to live longingly for the appearance of Christ. I'm so thankful that we can worship. I'm so thankful that we can talk to God. I'm so thankful that we can tell others about God. I'm thankful that we can serve Him, that He gives us the privilege of doing that. I'm thankful that He's coming back again. I'm thankful that all this is only temporary. That this one day is going to pass away and all of the challenges of life. And in front of us is heaven, eternity. No suffering, no pain, no sickness, no death. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you prepared for the return of Christ? Anna, she was faithful. Man, this, this, this leftover, this Christmas leftover, she shows us that no matter who you are, no matter what you're faced with, you can be faithful. She waited and waited and waited. And she was satisfied because her faith was realized. She saw the Savior. Anna's faith was in the one and only true God, that the one and only true Messiah would come. And because she put her faith in God, her faith was satisfied. If our faith is in him and him alone, the object of our faith is important. If we put our faith in God, our faith will be satisfied. However, if we put our faith in something else, or even if our faith is just divided between God and something else, our loyalty is divided between God and something else, we're going to be disappointed every time. This morning, this Christmas, the gift that we can give to Jesus is to put our faith and trust in Him and to live in a way that anticipates His return. That day in the temple, Anna, her faith was realized. She was satisfied. So when Jesus returns, will your faith be satisfied? That word in verse 38, redemption, is important. It speaks of, of, of chains, speaking of, of slavery. We were, we were bound in sin. It speaks of the cost that was paid. Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. He bought us out of slavery. It speaks of ownership. Now we, we don't belong to ourselves. We don't own ourselves. We, we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, that, that we now belong to him. We are not our own. He bought us with a price. So this Christmas, we can know that Jesus, he loves you. He loves you enough. He loves the 325 million people in this country enough to die for your sins. He loves beyond that, the world. For God so loved the world enough to give his life to pay the price 
that we could not pay to be the sacrifice for our sins. And he's given us a place in his church to share our faith with others. Everything that we've seen in Anna's life, the example that she's given us shows us the importance, the importance of giving God our very best in everything. And the reason we should give him our best is because, for one thing, great churches were never built with spare time and spare change. I mean, God deserves our best. We have to give him, if we want to make an impact in our world for Christ, we've got to be willing to give him our, to, to give him our best. And, and he deserves our best because first, he gave us his best. God gave us his one and only son. And then Jesus gave his best. The Lord's Supper represents the sacrifice. He gave his life. And so how could we give him anything but our best in our lives? And here's what I want you to think about as we move into this time where we're going to celebrate and, and remember the sacrifice of Christ. The only reason we can give God anything is because he gave his best. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ made, his body given for us, his blood spilled to cover our sins, to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to be our sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. The bread represents his body. The cup represents the blood. And as we participate in this, it's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. It's also a visual testimony of what he did. Just for a few moments, we're just going to have a time where we can come and pray. If you feel led to come and pray, kneel at the altar, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Our deacons are going to come and lead the way. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand, and if the Lord leads you, let's just take a few moments and spend in prayer. The Bible is very clear that before we take part in the Lord's Supper, we need to make sure our hearts are right with God. If there's any unconfessed sin that exists, we need to confess it. You may not even be aware of it, but through the time of prayer that we're going to have, God may show you some things that you need to confess. It says if we're not right with another brother or sister, we need to go make that right before we take part. Maybe God's going to show you you don't need to take part in this this morning until you get right with somebody else. Or maybe your focus, you know, the craziness of Christmas, holiday, shopping, maybe your focus just isn't where it's supposed to be. So in the next few moments, let's just spend time with the Lord in prayer. And then we can be focused on the sacrifice that he's made. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to stand. Let's stand together. And if you feel led, you come and kneel. If you don't, just stay and pray where you are. We're going to have a time of worship. So you come as the Lord leads.